It's a joy and blessing to open God's Word with you uh, so that we would know the will of God about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The elders have asked me to share what I have been learning uh, from my counseling classes in seminary. And before I begin, I just want to say that Katrina and I, Katrina is my wife, um, we have not arrived in our marriage. So God is still growing us in our own marriage. And so I teach this as someone who walks alongside with you. So if you're single, and I know this topic is about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, this will still be helpful for you. Maybe for some of you, you have fears about getting married, or you have some vain imaginations about it, and it's affecting your dating life. Maybe your parents were divorced, or your parents had a difficult marriage. Or maybe for some of you, you know someone who recently got divorced, and it shook you. Maybe you're married. You're married and you are having marriage issues right now. My prayer is that no matter what our experience or our perception of marriage is, my prayer is that God would renew our minds by His Word. Because the right view of marriage is God's view of marriage according to His Word. And it's my prayer that we would be able to fulfill the design of God's, of God's design in marriage so that we would enjoy it, as Scripture says it, as the grace of life. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Oh Lord, we desperately need you. We thank you for the message this morning reminding us of the gospel in marriage, of the picture of Christ loving the church and the church submitting to Christ. Lord, you know our heart's desires. You know our fears. You know what's going on in our own relationships. Lord, it's our prayer for today that may you renew our minds by the washing of your word and by the power of your spirit. May you please help our hearts to have the right view and being able to obey your word so that we would fulfill your design for marriage, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm going to show you a picture, and tell me what's wrong with this picture. What's wrong with this picture? Maybe at the back it's kind of hard to see, but um, does anyone notice what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong? You can say it. Yeah, putting gas in a Tesla. You will be surprised. Uh, you go to YouTube online. There are many people who try to put gas in their Tesla, and the car behind them are taking videos or pictures of like, the silliness of what's happening here. We laugh at this because we know the purpose of a Tesla, right? We know the purpose, the design of the Tesla. 
no matter what the experience of the driver is. Maybe his experience was, you know, he's used to putting gas, right, in a car, but no matter what his experience is, it doesn't matter compared to the design, the intent, and the purpose of the inventor of electric cars, right? In a similar way, we could misuse or misunderstand marriage because we're bringing in our own experience from our family, from the world's, from the world's culture, or our selfish desires. You see, failing to understand the purpose and design of something will only lead to destroying it. Marriages fail because of the failure to understand or to believe and apply God's intent and design for marriage according to His Word. And because the world doesn't follow God's design from His Word, you see the stats about marriage. The American Psychological Association states 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce. So if you go to social media, you type in hashtag wedding, perhaps 40 to 50% of those wonderful celebrations that you see will end up in divorce eventually. The average first marriage that ends in divorce lasts about seven to eight years. And that's why you hear the term, the seven-year itch. The divorce rate for second marriages is even higher, uh, approximately 60 to 67% of second marriages um, end up in divorce. Living together before marriage will likely end up in divorce. And the irony about this is people cohabitate together, they live in, because of their past experience, oh, marriage doesn't work. So just let's live in together and let's see and try, you know, before making this commitment. But the irony is that once you live in together and you get married, most likely you'll end up in divorce. Too often, when marriages goes bad, we jump into things like, oh, it's a communication problem, or oh, it's finances, or it's sex, or oh, this is what the husband should be doing, or this is what the wife should be doing. Human nature is uh, wants a formula. Tell me what to do to fix my marriage. Show me steps A, B, C, or D. But we see that even people write books about marriages, including Christian ones. There have been so many books published about marriage, including Christian books. And yet, the divorce rate has not decreased. So what is the problem here? There is something else far more important than all of that which is often assumed or ignored. There is far more important than all of that, which is often assumed or ignored. It is the question, what is God's purpose for marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? Or we should be asking, yeah, what is God's design? What is His intent? And we look at Scripture 
to see that. And I have two points. The first one, God created marriage as a lifelong covenantal union between a man and a woman. Marriage begins with God and not with man. God created marriage. He designed it. Therefore, God is the source and authority of this wonderful gift. And he reveals this purpose through his word. And that's why we see scripture is sufficient. God created marriage to be a lifelong covenantal companionship between a husband and wife. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2.18, Proverbs 2.17, and Malachi 2.14, which Pastor Mark read with us this morning. It is a covenant. It is an agreement that you made that you made a promise to your spouse with responsibilities you've committed to before God, before your parents, your family, your church, and your friends. There is a mighty big difference between, or, or should I say, there is no such thing as a private covenant. There is no such thing as a private covenant. There is a mighty big difference between when a man whispers a promise to an ear to a lady at the back seat of a car when no one is around versus someone, a man, declares his promise to his bride in a wedding ceremony, like yesterday at Randall and Molly's wedding, declaring their vows, their commitment to one another as husband and wife before God in front of their parents, of their family, of the church, and their friends. So covenantal union before, uh, as God, before God and witnesses with your church and family and friends. Another thing is that it is a union between a man and a woman. It is not between Adam and Jack. It is not between Eve and Jacqueline. It is not also between Adam and Eve with Evelyn and Jacqueline. You know, it's not polygamy. One man, one woman. Why is this important? Because the world is trying to redefine marriage, right? Think about this. If the world can redefine as basic as gender, what a man is, what a woman is. It is, a, it is an attack on marriage in a way. And if you can change as simple as gender or the definition of marriage, what other parts of Scripture can they change? Can they change the definition of a sinner? Can they change the definition of the gospel? And so this is very important to God. And you reread what, what Pastor Mark have said in Malachi, that if we defile his design of marriage, God is not pleased with that, right? And I know we are being streamed in YouTube. Uh, some folks from our church are watching us, but I hope YouTube will not cancel us with what I'm saying. But the point is we have to be faithful to what God's word 
has to say how God's Word defines marriage. And God's Word shows that there's a blueprint to it. The world is trying to change the blueprint of marriage. And this is why we see the stats about so many devastating um, stats about marriage. So God's Word shows the blueprint. And what is that? There is one statement that is repeated four times about marriage all throughout Scripture. And we find it in Genesis chapter 2, 24, Matthew 19, 5, Mark 10, 7 to 8, Ephesians 5, 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That statement is repeated four times from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the blueprint is leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. Leaving your father and mother, holding fast to your wife, doesn't mean cutting off or abandoning your parents or you're stopping honoring them. It does mean you are to be more concerned with your spouse about his opinion or her opinion and ideas than your parents. It does mean when the problem arises, both of you choose the course of action together. And you don't try to change your spouse because here is what mommy, this is how mommy did it, or this is how daddy did it. Problems in marriage definitely arise when a spouse doesn't fully leave his or her parents and not holding fast to their spouse. And another one, the two shall become one flesh. It is not only about physical intimacy, but also spiritual oneness. The new flesh there means new life as the two become one flesh. It is spiritual unity and purpose to live for God's glory. Married couples share everything, their hopes and dreams, possessions, ideas, sufferings, problems, failures, and enjoyments. That unity is meant to grow over time. So it's not like an overnight change and all of a sudden you're all one, but that's where God is going to sanctify you and your wife or your, your husband when it comes to becoming one. God's purpose for marriage was for companionship as the two become one flesh, intimacy in every aspect of life because man was never designed to be alone. So that's the first point. The second point is that marriage is the gospel made visible for God's glory. Marriage is the gospel made visible for the glory of God. Everything that God does is for his glory. We see that in Psalm 113, verse 3. And God created his people for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7. In the Old Testament, God uses marriage to portray his relationship with his chosen people for his glory. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 3 to 10, Hosea chapter 1, verses 2. Life is not about us. The universe doesn't revolve around us. Marriage becomes a war zone. It becomes a war zone 
when you just you are just thinking about your own needs, your own wants, and your own desires. But that is contrary to the gospel. In the New Testament, marriage is used to portray the gospel. And Paul describes the relationship of the husband and wife in marriage to Christ and his bride, the church. The image, this imagery reveals Christ's pure and sacrificial love for the church. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 31. Take your Bible. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 31. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 31. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 31. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are, his, because we are members of his body, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Christ's sacrificial love to his church and the church submission by faith to Christ, it is a picture of the gospel that brings honor and glory to God. Christ gave himself up for the church. And this is the opposite view of the world. Oftentimes, the world says, I love you because you make me happy, right? I love you because it pleases me. That is self-love. That is self-absorbed, self-focused love that only brings glory to man and not to God. We need to be reminded of the gospel in our own marriage. And we see in the passage that we just read in Ephesians 5 that Christ is the center. Christ is the center of it. We need to be reminded of the gospel in our own marriage for it to flourish as designed by God. And so I have four points about this. Gospel love, gospel character, gospel repentance, and gospel forgiveness. What does that mean? Gospel love. We love because God loved us first. Christ is a central figure in marriage as described in Ephesians chapter 5. The vertical relationship comes first. House 
your walk with Christ. How's your walk with Christ? Is God your first love? Is God your first love? Marriage problems are always a worship problem. Marriage problems are always a worship problem. Are you taking down the idols of your heart? Because if you don't address the vertical relationship with God first, you will try to find meaning and satisfaction in the horizontal relationships, which will not satisfy you. And if it doesn't satisfy you, you will look to your spouse. She's not meeting my needs. He's not meeting my needs. And the marriage becomes a war zone. When Christ is neglected in the marriage, then the marriage becomes problematic. The gospel teaches us that we need a Savior in our own life. We need a Savior. We need Christ. So how's your walk with Christ? Second one, gospel character. Are you growing in Christ-likeness? How's your humility? Are you kind to your spouse with your words? Are you walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh? Do you desire for your spouse to be molded to your own image or to a certain type of image? Or do you desire for your spouse to be molded to the image of Christ? Right? And that's a problem. And you see, it's a domino effect. If our vertical relationship with God, if our walk with Christ is not well, then our character is affected, then we want our spouse to be like us. How come you're not like me? How come you're not thinking like me? Right? And that becomes a problem. We have to remember Christ, to grow in Christ-likeness, in humility, and in love. Third one, gospel repentance. This is about uprooting sin in your life. It's one thing to identify your sin, but it's another thing to repent, to put it off, and to put on Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 states, Christ died for all, that those who live might not lo- no longer li- live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Remember the gospel. Perhaps you're still stuck with the same argument with your spouse because there's no repentance. Are you putting off your selfish desires, those sinful desires, and are you putting on Christ? There needs to be true godly sorrow, true repentance in marriage. And lastly, gospel forgiveness. We're married to a sinner, so it's important to ask for forgiveness and to forgive as Christ forgave us. Biblical forgiveness. What is biblical forgiveness? It is not about um, just forgetting. It is a proactive mindset that you will not allow that sin to dwell in your mind. That's how God forgave us. God doesn't think about like, oh, you know, JC did this sin. He'll have to pay. But he looks at me. He sees Christ, right? 
We should do the same thing for our spouse. We forgive as Christ forgave, as we read in Ephesians chapter 5. We're married to a sinner, and so it's very important for us to forgive, not the world's kinds of the world's kind of forgiveness. The world, the way they forgive, the way they forgive is that, okay, I let you pass that sin, but it means I also have to do my own sin as well, so that it's equal. That's justice in my own eyes. No, gospel forgiveness. Gospel forgiveness means I will not remind you of this sin unless it is absolutely necessary to do so for your own good. So we should not allow that sin to dwell on our minds. So that is how the gospel looked like in the marriage. Now, what are the practical ways to do this? What are the practical ways? And based on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 31, here are some things that I have learned from my counseling, counseling classes. I want to start with the husbands. The same way, Pastor Mark, I want to talk to the men. Let's begin with the husbands. Here are practical ways. Husbands, are you listening? Of course, be in God's word and prayer first. Here's my question. Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray for your wife in your quiet times? Remember, you need to be filled by the Spirit. Or are you filled with yourself? Do you only pray for yourself? When was the last time you prayed for your wife in your quiet time? Second, remember that you submit, that we submit to Christ. Your wife submits unto the Lord. Oftentimes, husbands are like, oh yeah, she's going to submit to me. Being a bachelor, you're able to do whatever you want. But that's not how it works. Remember, husbands, we submit to Christ, right? And we are accountable to Christ. Yes, our wives submit to us. But eventually, the, the decisions that we make, we are accountable to that. Third, be sure your wife has enough time for Bible study and prayer. Be sure your wife has enough, Bible time, uh, enough time for Bible study and prayer. And in Ephesians chapter 5.20, it's, this is about sanctification of the word, watering, washing of the water of the word, right? For example, she had a tough time at work or I don't know, maybe um, at home. And she's so tired. Maybe sometimes you need to do, honey, I'll take care of the kids. Or I'll cook dinner for us. Just have some time alone to be with Christ and his word. Or husbands, do you encourage your wives to go to Logos, to have fellowship with the ladies in their discipleship groups, right? Are you just thinking about your own work, about your own world? Do you think about her spiritual life. Spend time together in the word and prayer. And this is what in Ephesians chapter 5, 26, this is about the washing of the water with the word. Next, commend her growth in biblical traits. Commend her. You know, oh honey, I've seen you. You've grown in uh, self-control or being patient with our kids. You're not shouting anymore. <laughs> so, you know, commend her growth, the biblical traits. 
make and explain your big decisions based on Scripture. Husbands, and I'm guilty of this, do we just make decisions based on pragmatic choices? Do we go to Scripture and say, okay, we're making this financial decision because this is how I, uh, this is how I did it when I was single? Or do we open God's Word? Okay, here's what God's Word is saying. Honey, we have to trust God in this decision, even though it's difficult. We have to trust God's Word. Okay? Determine which areas in her life she desires to change most and why. Search Scripture together for God's answers. If she feels discontent in one area, you don't just jump in, solve the issue. Okay, let's change the circumstances, pragmatic. No, you open God's Word. You search Scripture. Okay, honey, let me draw out what's in your heart. You know, what's going on? What are, what are the idols in your heart? Or what's going on? Is there something wrong? Uh, you know, just try to draw out, listen to her. Next one. Tell her what she means to you and how thankful to God you are for her. Husbands, when was the last time you thanked your wife? Ephesians chapter 5 says, our hearts should be filled with thanksgiving. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20. You may be thankful for your wife in your heart, but when was the last time you expressed that to her? Or do you only express that in your anniversary, Mother's Day, or her birthday? Three times a year. When was the last time you thanked her? Tell her specific things you appreciate about her or what she does and focus on her character. Say things to build her up. Do not treat her in a condescending way. Okay? Be careful with your words. Uh, next one. Learn how to restore her when she sins and do it gently. Learn to listen to her. Don't fix her or troubleshoot her. I'm an engineer. Um, sometimes when my wife shares a problem, I would like, yeah, let's, I'm more focused about solving the problem, solving the issue. And through the year, we're, we're married for 10 years now. I'm, I'm still learning. It's not about the problem sometimes. <laughs> it's about what she feels about it. Um, so, so I'm learning in that aspect as well. Guys think differently. We try, try to troubleshoot right away. And, um, but yeah, learn to listen. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, Proverbs uh, 25 says, uh, the heart is like deep waters, and a man of understanding can draw it out. Draw it out. Listen to your wife. Uh, lastly, there are just so many things, so I'm just trying to summarize it and because of time. Uh, I have to summarize this, but for the husband, last one, cherish her. You know, cherish your wife. Cuddle, hug her, uh, buy gifts, not only because it's your anniversary, and don't do it because you want to be physically intimate, okay? Um, you can be romantic without, you know, like wanting to have um, yeah, physical intimacy. So don't just be nice to her because you want sex. But if she wants to, by all means. <laughs> now for the wives. <laughs> Amen. 
Let's go to the wives. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, now for the wives. <laughs> Be in the word and prayer first. Pray for your husband. Uh, pray for your husband. When was the last time you prayed for your husband in your quiet time? Do you pray for him more? Do you pray for his spiritual, spiritual growth more? Or do you pray more about his career or financial growth more? Trust God when it comes to his spiritual growth. Be patient, wives. It won't be an overnight change, but be patient. So I'm thanking my wife for being patient with me. Trust God as you submit to your husband. Be spirit-filled and not self-filled in submission. Now, you might, want, you might ask, okay, my husband is not perfect. What if I submit to my husband and it causes me trouble? Well, that's a fair question, you know. Well, God is sovereign. Right? First of all, we have to think about who gave this command. Was it man or God? God, right? So God is sovereign. And we can completely trust him knowing that he knows what's best for us even if your husband is not perfect. When you obey God, you are putting yourself under the will of God, and you are putting yourself in the safest place possible. Now, what if my husband asks me to sin? Well, according to Scripture, God is holy, and He is a loving Father. He will not give you a command to sin. Submission ultimately means you are submitting to Jesus, right? Submission, the, in Ephesians 5.22 says, submit to your husbands unto the Lord, right? So submission means ultimately submission to Jesus, so then you should never follow your husband into sin. Okay, next, don't make big decisions without him. Don't make big decisions without him. It's like, all of a sudden, like, oh, by the way, I invited, uh, you know, this family over tomorrow. Like, and your husband's like, wait, 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 we haven't talked about this. Respect his leadership, okay? Respect his leadership. Um, grow in home management. We see this in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Uh, do you ask older godly ladies in your church to speak into your lives? Or do you go to TikTok, YouTube, more about knowing the practicalities of home management? Home management is not just about the practical aspect, but it's your heart. In Titus chapter 2, 3 to 5, it's about learning how to love your husband and loving your children. Okay? Next. Um, tell him what he means to you and how thankful to God you are for him. Wives, when was the last time you thanked your husband? Is it only on your anniversary, Father's Day, on your birthday? Is it only three times a year? Remember to thank your husband. Um, tell him specific things you appreciate about him or what he does. We focus on his character. Similarly, say things to build up. Do not treat him in a condescending way, right? Do not treat him. And lastly, 
prioritize inner beauty, which is godly character, over outer beauty. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4 states, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Proverbs 31.30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. So, in summary, God created marriage as a lifelong covenantal union between a man and a woman. And marriage is the gospel made visible for the glory of God. And so, we live in a fallen world. And we discussed this uh, uh, this morning. We live in a fallen world. Sin can destroy marriages. The result could lead to divorce. So what about divorce? And Pastor Mark did a great job this morning about expounding if he, if he, uh, so Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. Can Christians divorce? Well, so we discussed this morning if he, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. Now let's look at the perspective in Matthew chapter 19 when the Pharisees asked Jesus the same question. What are the grounds for divorce? And they're coming from a wrong heart, right? So um, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 9, let's go there. Jesus turns to Scripture uh, addressing divorce. He, he has done this, uh, he said this biblically and not pragmatically. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Or in other words, can we just divorce our wives with any reason? And Jesus answered them, verse 4, have you not read, he's turning to scripture, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a, a why did Moses command one to give a certifi certificate of divorce and to send her away? And verse 8, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So during Jesus' time, anyone could have any reason to divorce his wife. Or, you know, or they have like certain uh, criteria, as Pastor Mark mentioned this morning. Divorce was normal in their generation. Well, similarly today, divorce is normal, and we hear it all the time. 
before Jesus answered what were the biblical grounds of divorce, he used Scripture to reveal what was God's perspective on divorce first. And divorce was not part of God's original design. As a matter of, as a matter of fact, God hates divorce. That's in Malachi chapter 2, um, the passage that we read this morning, 14 to 16. He hates divorce. He hates divorce because it involves unfaithfulness to the covenant of marriage that the husband and wife have entered into before him. It brings harmful consequences to the innocent spouse and to the children. And also, it harms the community, you know? The guilty spouse who wants to have an affair says, I'm just seeking my own pleasure. Who am I hurting? But in reality, blinded by sin, pursuing selfish desires, in effect, it's affecting the families, the marriage, the parents of the innocent spouse, the church family. It's devastating. And so, but why does God allow it? Why does he allow divorce? Biblical divorce happens only because of man's hardness of heart to sin. Since divorce is only a concession to man's sin, it is not part of God's original design or part of original, uh, it wasn't part of God's original uh, plan for marriage. Believers should also hate divorce as God does. Believers must only pursue divorce only when there is no other recourse. By God's grace, a marriage can survive the worst sins as we hope in Christ. However, there are really sinners who are hardened hearts who pursue it. So what are the biblical ground, grounds for divorce? So there are two main grounds that we see in Scripture. Uh, first one is uh, unrepentant sexual sin. Unrepentant sexual sin. Uh, Jesus' use of the Greek word porneia in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, in 99, um, and that includes unrepentant adultery, uh, homosexuality, uh, bestial bestiality, and incest. So it's not just about adultery, but it's like a broad case of sexual sin. Uh, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, which is porneia, and marries another commits adultery. The second one is abandonment by an unbeliever. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15 state, states, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, mean the unbelieving spouse, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Leave here is uh, chorizo, same word as Jesus used in Matthew 19, chapter 6, for separate, right? Which alludes to the unbeliever divorcing the believer. So you cannot just talk about divorce and then, you know, without remarriage. So what is remarriage? How about remarriage? Now, I just want to state there are two major views on remarriage. Uh, first view is that biblical divorce is okay as long as it's grounded, uh, you know, based on biblical grounds, but remarriage is not okay. 
Uh, this view believes that when a person marries a divorced person, commits adultery, uh, they only believe you can remarry when the former spouse dies. Uh, the second view uh, believes that remarriage is allowed for the faithful partner only when the divorce was on biblical grounds, basically. So based on the, the two things that I, I've discussed uh, previously. Um, they only believe that, uh, sorry, uh, the purpose for a biblical divorce is to make clear that the faithful partner is free to remarry, but only in the Lord. So remember the two biblical grounds for divorce, Matthew 9, uh, Matthew 19, verse 9, sexual immorality, uh, and 1 Corinthians 7, 15, abandonment by unbelieving spouse. Uh, they believe that, you know, that the spouse who was left behind is not under bondage. And uh, some people say it, the, the Greek word there implies that he or she is free from all the obligations from the previous marriage. So this means the faithful divorced person is allowed to come to new obligations of a new marriage. Okay? So what happens? Okay. What happens when a married person commits adultery? Can the innocent spouse file for divorce right away, or can, they, can he or she remarry? Well, just because a spouse commits adultery, uh, you don't just divorce right away. You try to reconcile them according to Scripture. If the spouse repents, you know, if the, by, by God's grace, if the spouse repents, the offended spouse must forgive biblically. If the spouse is not repentant and all possible means were exhausted, then divorce is allowed. But, you know, divorce, remarriage, they are very difficult topics. It's very hard, and it's not fair that, you know, I could just say all this. I don't want to give a formula, but I just want to give you God's provisions when this happens in your family um, or in the, in the church. Um, so divorce and remarriage is hard. Uh, addressing mar marital issues is difficult. But there is hope in Christ. God gives us hope in His Word. And God has given us provisions to help us navigate marriage, divorce, and re remarriage. And I don't want to give a formula because each case is different. And this is why we have the provisions of the local church. God gives, the, the, God provides a local church to help the married couple. So we have the church shepherds. So those are our elders and shepherds who keep watch over our souls. Couples uh, need shepherding and counseling to draw out what's happening in the heart, right? And there is no cookie-cutter template when it comes to divorce, and each case is really different. And that's why you need elders and shepherds to go through the counseling case. Uh, also, uh, there's church discipline. And, you know, we see that in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. So we confront the spouse, right, one-on-one. -on -one. If still not repentant, you go to the next stage. And then next stage, you tell it to the church. And if, it's not if he or she is not repentant, then you treat him like an unbeliever, right? Like a tax collector or Gentile. And so 
So yeah, so God provides the church shepherds. We have the church discipline. And, and lastly, of course, there's a church family. Church family. Um, it's very hard for the innocent spouse to go through this. So God uses the church to help and comfort and encourage the, the faithful and hurting spouse and their children. And so God uses all of these to help us navigate uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage according to God's word. And I wish I could share more, but uh, due to time, uh, and we trust in God's provision for the time right now. Um, so here's the information that I can give. So uh, if you have questions, you know, you can always ask Pastor Mark, uh, Ted, and Kevin, our elders, when it comes to certain situations in your marriage or your family. Uh, in closing, I just, I could share that, um, just remember, embrace the gospel in your relationships or in any relationship. What's interesting is that Pastor Mark, uh, his opening was Ephesians chapter 5 about walking in love as Christ. We did not talk. My closing is the same thing as well. It's amazing how God uh, uses uh, God's word. And so I just want to encourage you guys. If we, I just want to end with this. Uh, so we started... With this passage, we're going to end with this passage for today. Just a gospel encouragement for you in your relationships with your spouse and your children. Ephesians chapter 4 to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So remember, we love because God loved us first, so let's walk in love as Christ loved us. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful for this wonderful gift of, of your word and the wonderful gift of marriage. Lord, please help us in our relationships that we would love as Christ loved us. Lord, you know our selfish desires, our sinful desires. May you continue to renew our minds and our spirits and our hearts so that we would walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, help us, Lord, in our words, in our hearts, in our actions towards our spouse, to our children, that we would reflect the gospel, that we would honor and glorify God in our lives. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, JC, for bringing us the word. And it's a lot for us to chew on, but hopefully um, for those of you who are married, things to discuss and talk through with your spouses and for those who are not, um, you know, even with your roommates, to consider some of the biblical principles there that really are, are set in the context of marriage, but, you know, things like the gospel and walking in love and humility and forgiving one another and um, pursuing biblical repentance, those are all things that we are all called to do as believers. Um, so we do have uh, 10 minutes or so before we close, and um, what we're going to do at, uh, at for these last 10 minutes is to ask JC and Katrina if, you know, I wanted to ask them a few questions on biblical conflict resolution, which is tied closely to what uh, JC taught on. 
Um, but can I get a couple guys, Garrett, um, could you help sort of move stuff up front here so that we can sort of set up a couple chairs? Um, and then afterwards, I'll have uh, JC and Katrina come up here. So um, give us two minutes, all right? So if you need to do a little stretch or use the restroom, um, and then we'll call, come back in two minutes. Hello, hello. We're on. All right. I don't know if I saw anyone move. Maybe you guys all are okay with the stretch break. All right. Well, um, just want to thank JC and Kat. JC, thank you for your teaching, and Katrina, thank you for being up here. Um, you know, a, a topic that's closely related to what JC taught on. You know, biblical conflict resolution. It's something you had taught on also last semester. You know, and, um, you know, just to open, I wanted to read from James chapter 4, which is your passage as well that you had taught on, you know, where it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And, you know, what we heard um, from JC this afternoon, but also even from God's Word this morning through Pastor Mark is, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, God calls for us to really get to the root of the problem, right? And it, it, as, you know, JC mentioned, all marriage problems are worship problems, right? What do we worship? What do we idolize? What are our desires and our ambitions, and our aspirations, and our expectations, and all these things that we long for, and we place in the pla we place above Christ, and that's when we run into problems, right? And oftentimes, our spouse or our circumstances—they're just the occasion, right, for our sinful desires and in our inordinate desires to come out. They're not the problem ultimately, but what God is doing through conflict and through Different, different challenges and trials in our marriages, in our lives, is to expose those things so that we might repent, not just of our external words or actions, but really repent at the level of our desires, because that's the root of the problem, right? And so, um, just in light of, you know, what JC taught on, you know, I just wanted to kind of um, ask them a few questions. Hopefully, it'll be a help to all of us, you know, as we hear their response. Um, but, you know, you mentioned earlier you guys have been married for 10, year by, 10 years by God's grace, and, you know, what a joy to, uh, as a church family, to be a 
for a lot of that time, you know, having you guys be at our church for how long now? Um, eight years? Yeah, eight, of those, eight of those yeah. ten years, yeah, yeah, you've been with us. And just, yeah. just to be uh, able to witness God's grace in your marriage, and see how you guys, um, you know, with Seth and Kiana, and, and, and mm-hmm. just see you guys yeah. raise um, both of them so faithfully, uh, we're so encouraged. Um, but just kind of going back to maybe how you guys grew up, you know, even before you, you got married, you know, you guys grew up in different homes with sort of different family members and ways they dealt with conflict, right? And those things are sort of context for us because, you know, our parents, the way we were brought, raised, though they don't determine our path, they do influence the way we often deal with conflict in our relationship. So maybe you can speak uh, briefly to you know, what sort of ways did you see marital conflict being addressed when you guys were growing up? And perhaps kind of going into, going from there, you know, how did it impact the way uh, you guys um, deal with conflict mm-hmm. in your marriage? Go first. Yeah, so um, my parents were unbelievers when they got married. So naturally, Christ was not the center of their marriage. And how they resolve conflicts was not based on truth from the scripture. So um, yelling was pretty frequent. And um, one parent would be more um, uh, outbursts of anger. And then another um, parent would be um, also angry but more like passive-aggressive. So then, yeah, asking for forgiveness was also not the norm. And also, um, sweeping things under the rug um, is what I was used to. So I kind of brought that in our marriage in the first part, um, where JC wants to talk about something. I'm like, I need, you know, like a few days <laughs> to think about it, even, or like I hide, <laughs> avoid <laughs> talking about it, or confronting him, or like being confronted. So, yeah. Um- my family culture is the total opposite of Katrina. So uh, we would all, you know, there was yelling, shouting, but there was, uh, it was not passive aggressive. It was like confrontational, like aggressive, aggressive. Um, and, but uh, we would not sweep things under the rug. We would try to resolve it uh, right away. And so when <laughs> our first year of marriage, first few years, we struggled with that because so we would have a conflict, and I would like, let's resolve this right away. You know, the Bible says, do not let anger, uh, do not let the sun go down <laughs> when you're angry. And uh, she was like, oh, I need time to process things. Yeah, yeah, right. You say it nicer. That I was like, <laughs> shutting down. I was like, you know. I was trying to be nice, but I could not understand it. And then we realized, oh, yeah, like the way she was brought up and the way I was brought up. And so, um, but in my own heart, I think what happened was I was more focused on the issue rather, rather than shepherding her heart. It's more of like, like what I shared a while ago, I tried to troubleshoot. What's the, what's the problem? Let's fix it now, you know, but that's not how God calls us to, uh, to do it. So I've learned over the years and I'm still learning, you know, so. And hopefully, you guys are all nodding your heads. Um, <laughs> they're not alone in this. I, I certainly can relate, you know, in, even in our marriage, sort of what we brought into 
our our uh, our marriage, you know, just the upbringing and the ways, you know, we dealt differently with 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 conflict, and you know, um, obviously a lot of it was uh, governed by our experiences and what worked, and and um, yeah, you guys probably know it created a whole mess, right? And so, um, but you know, just kind of leading. Thank you for sharing and sort of setting the context, but you know, this is sort of what I hope we walk away with, but you know, in, in terms of your past conflict situations in your marriage, um, what sort of idols, heart idols, what sort of desires, uh, what sort of lusts, what sort of thoughts uh, was the Lord sort of exposing through all this? Because He's sovereign, right? Even though, yeah, we are ultimately responsible for our sins. We're the ones who get angry. We're the ones who, you know, um, walk away and, and try to deal with conflict our own way, right? Do what's right in our own eyes. God is sovereign over this because He loves us and He wants us not to remain the way we are. And so He often brings conflict and heat into our lives to, to reveal where we ourselves, not necessarily our spouse, but we ourselves need to grow and repent. And so, in terms of your past or even more recent conflict situations, what are the things in your own heart that the Lord was sort of revealing and exposing? What did God expose? Are, are we recorded? How much time do we have? <laughs> um, God, um, yeah, revealed just the one or two things. A lot of um, things in my heart, but just to pick a few, some of them were control, um, performance, um, comfort would be some of the more common things. And then, yeah, for example, because I've you know I've seen JC when he was JC version 1.0, right? He's like. <laughs> version 11.0 now, like being 11 years married. So early in our marriage, we were immature believers. And we were, you know, we thought we were okay. We were serving at the church we were part of. But by God's grace, around the time we joined Lighthouse, God has really um, showed us what we truly love and treasure. And over time, God has changed, you know, those affections. But still being human... Um, even the good desires can become an ultimate desire, right? It become, becomes an idol. I wanted JC and I to be wise with our time, maybe because I was like thinking we wasted so much time earlier in our marriage. And so I didn't like it when JC watched football. <laughs> I was like, what's so fun or about <laughs> watching a bunch of men causing brain damage to each other? <laughs> So, yeah, but was his watching really sin? No. Was he being lazy at home? No. And was he neglecting being a spiritual leader in our home? No, he wasn't perfect at that time. He was just still also like learning. But I know he does what he knows and can, you know, at that time, right? Um, but at that point, I wasn't thinking, oh, so thankful that he's working so hard, that he makes me coffee in the morning. I wasn't thinking about those things, right, when he's like, when I'm angry. So I would like have self-pity and I would sulk, you know, like folding the laundry on doesn't make sound, maybe the dishes <laughs> so he can hear. <laughs> you know, I was sowing seeds of bitterness, right, in our marriage. And I thought it's JC that needed to change. So I felt stuck and confused because I why was I um, you know having bitterness with the same issues you know I felt I felt stuck wasn't this a good desire right a, a better wiser use of time 
Um, but but what has been the fruit? There has been like disunity in our marriage, anger, bitterness, discontentment, disunity, and self pity, right? So then I sought the help of an older, wiser sister, <clears throat> Julie, and <laughs> she told me, "You're like you're angry. You need to repent." And um, so I finally understood what was the log in my own eye, like. My desire was he should be reading about how to be a godly dad. <laughs> you know, performance, right? And control. Or help me even more with the things to do. Comfort, right? I wanted to mold Jace in my own image, right? And which the aim should have been him becoming more like Christ. And yeah, God must have been smiling at me. Like, God, just trust me. If you only know how many books he's going to read <laughs> when he goes to seminary. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I had to repent, you know, what was shared a while ago. Ephesians 4, right? Let all bitterness and wrath. I had to identify what was the sin. So yeah, big picture in summary, if we have conflict, I know my heart is deceitful and I can sin can make me blind, right? Sin makes me maximize his sin and minimize my own. And I need to um, identify what is the log in my own eye. What is there any wrong attitude or um, unbiblical way of communicating it to JC? And um, I can do that by praying, by seeking counsel, because sometimes you just need another person's perspective that I'm not seeing it um, as I should or biblically, and letting God's word reveal what's in my heart. And then when you're in doubt, if is my motives really right, right? Like, am I really build, wanting this for God's kingdom? Or if I'm not sure if my timing is right, or I'm not sure, you know, like, just pray. <laughs> pray first and shut up. <laughs> And then second, um, identifying the, uh, biblically what is the issue and being careful not to raise a sin issue into a level of sin. Um, if it is sin, you know, speak the truth in love, in humility, in meekness, and as a teammate, right? It should be a safe place. Marriage should be a safe place for us to grow in sanctification because I'm a sinner. He's a sinner, right? Um, but not to bring also every little, like, offense um, and then if, if our conflict is due to our being different, then, you know, bear one another in love. A lot of times, it's just us being different. Um, if, if the conflict is based on wisdom, we're trying to decide something and we can't come up with um, a solution that both of us, like, think is the best, then we pray, we look to God's word, we wait, we, we ask counselors, and yeah. So lastly, it's like, um, this is my last point. Like, when I am in the Word, when I am doing well um, spiritually, when I'm thinking about God's character, His Word, um, I become a thankful person, right? I realize um, the big debt that was paid on the cross for, for me, and that helps me to be gracious and forgiving and less demanding of, of JC. And um, helps me to remember that I deserved hell, um, but Christ gave me so much more. He gave me his own blood. What, what else do I want? You know? And um, when I am with the church body too, when I pray and fellowship, it helps me to be kingdom-minded, not be stuck with my own little <laughs> world or our, our kingdom. So yeah, that has really just helped me to be set free from the love of me. <laughs> so yeah, that's all. Yeah, I, I agree. Sorry, can I, can I before you share... JC, you know, just listening to what you're sharing, you know, it's, yeah, God, you know, speaking to all of us, right? God has really provided every means of grace that we need, 
right? So he has not set JC and Katrina apart from before the foundation of the world, chosen for them to get married and sort of said, you're on your own, right? He's, he's brought us into the household of God so that through prayer of fellow believers, through the counsel of older, wiser men and women, uh, we might together grow in our marriages, in our relationships, and to help us see things where we don't, right? Where we might be blind to certain things. You know, it just takes a, a brother or sister who, who loves you to just come alongside and say, hey, have you considered, you know, this perspective that comes from God's Word? And so, um, one of the things you shared, you know, which I wanted to highlight is, is yeah, what, what a privilege, you know, that we can not only enjoy the grace of marriage, but to have that within the household of God, that the world has no idea, right? All they see is, well, we're different. We have irre irreconcilable differences, right? And so that's grounds for divorce. But what's, what's God's remedy for differences? You know, and, and we celebrate this whenever we come together for the Lord's table. It's, we are different. There are a variety of gifts. We are different members. But the unity is not found in all of us being alike. The unity is found in the fact that we're all different. But that unity is found in the fact that, you know, we all look to the cross. And the cross humbles us and reminds us that it's not about ourselves. It's not about how good we are. It's not about changing or fixing the other person. It's the fact that Christ is our King and Lord, and so we can live our marriage to His glory, and we can humbly admit and confess where we fall short and where we need to grow and, mm -hmm. and apply the means of grace through His Word, through, through prayer, and through, through the church to, to, um, to live a marriage and, and to grow in our marriage. And so, um, JC, I'll, I'll let you answer that same question too. You know, what sort of specific mm. idols in your heart did the Lord expose, and yeah. how has the gospel and mm. Uh, how has his lordship in your life sort of redeemed those things? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, great job, honey. Um, so, but I cannot blame Kat for, you know, kind of like um, at first, initially in the first few years of our marriage because I was not spiritually mature. Um, just to give context, uh, yes, I'm in seminary, but I was not like this when I was single. I used to I was a bachelor living in Silicon Valley. I, I was a gamer. I, I did P PC games. I, I used to own an Xbox, PS, PlayStation, and a Wii. I was into gaming. I was into sports, like NFL. It was my idol, actually. That was my idol. Uh, I would do sports, fantasy, NFL, you know, and NBA. For those of you who are in fantasy, you know how time-consuming, because you have to re research stats, all those things, you know. Um, and I carried that in my marriage, you know, early in the early years. I'm not saying, um, you know, sports is sin or fantasy sports, but it becomes sin when, you know, it becomes uh, time-consuming and you're neglecting your priorities. So, um, so ladies, there, there's hope for the guys. So I just want to encourage you. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, um, and, you know, by God's grace, um, you know, God show, has shown me like, what are those idols? Like, basically, we see, oh, yeah, like sports or games. Those are just the symptoms, you know? And actually, the, the root issue of my heart was love of self. I love my own time. Like, I want to spend my, the, my time the way I want it, how I want it, when I want it, right? And so when you're single, you kind of like, 
you're just, you don't have anyone dependent on you. There's no baby or a spouse. But I carried that in, my, uh, uh, in the first few years of our marriage. And, um, and you know, by God's grace, you know, we, we have grown. And so we have repented of those sins. And um, we, you know, I just want to share uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I responded like a child. When I be- became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know, so uh, another one is 2 Corinthians 5.15 states that Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who their sake died and was raised. And, you know, for me, once, I, I think for me it's, how God transformed my heart is through His Word and His Spirit that when I got to know more about Christ and His Word, His will, Christ became sweet, sweeter, sweeter compared to the worldly things that I used to do or we used to do. And Kat mentioned that the first few years of our marriage was, it was worldly, right? Uh, we tell this to the premaritals. Um, you know, uh, we see the, the couples who we did premaritals with. Because we've been married, we're going to be 11 years married, uh, is it next week? Oh, two weeks? May, <laughs> May, <laughs> I know the date, May 20. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. My, my, my brain is <laughs> fried, fried right now, but... Um, um, my point is that the first five years of our marriage, um, we were worldly, I would say, right? We would um, binge watch Netflix shows. We would, um, we would attend church. We would, you know, be present on Sundays. But, you know, weeknights, it was, yeah, very worldly. On social media, uh, I was active. Like, we would post, like, date night. Nothing wrong. By the way, what I'm trying to say, there's nothing wrong with social media, there's nothing wrong with date nights, posting your date nights stuff with, you know, for the world to see. But from the outside, when people see our posts, people would say, oh, what a great marriage. They travel. That's how the world thinks. Vacation, um, date nights, which, which are good, by the way. But those things will not make a great marriage. It, it is Christ, really. So we tell to the premaritals, the first five years, it's like, yeah, it was worldly. It was, we were pursuing what the world was pursuing. And then the last five years, by God's grace, when we became more uh, active in church, um, I started going to seminary. God re- continued to renew our minds. And so we would have less date nights, less tr- vacation or travel you know, but we find that our rest and our uh, union is rested upon Christ and His Word. And I would say the last five years of our marriage has been sweeter, right, compared to the first five years. Even though from the world's perspective, oh, that's a sweet marriage from social media or like from the outside looking in. But now we're serving together, seeking God's, you know, Matthew 6, Seeking first the kingdom of God, right? Being in fellowship with the church family, serving Christ, uh, growing together in the word. I would say, you know, God has really blessed, uh, you know, our marriage. But, you know, that is his grace, really. So, 
yeah, again, just having the gospel mindset in your marriage, um, just knowing that everything is by His grace. It's a gift from the Lord. Um, and w- the problem sometimes with marriage and conflicts is that, that those desires, those idols, let's say if I did not give up those idols, I still want to do, you know, sports fantasy, you know, and if my son or my cat wants, hey, can I, and if I'm on my phone, hey, I'm still researching, you know, Steph Curry's three-point percentage goal or Clay Thompson's, or maybe I will not pick Clay Thompson because he's up and down. But, you know, the, the point is that, you know, I could be like so into my world, but not, uh, you know, just understanding, you know, the calling of a husband, the calling of a dad. Uh, and modeling the gospel to my wife uh, and to my children. So uh, my point is this, um, that, you know, the, the, it's the kingdom mindset, the priorities in your life, right? So is church, just an af- is church just an afterthought when you make your vacations or when you make your date nights? You know, you think about God's kingdom. It's not just your own world, but, you know, what Christ you know, um, has designed for us and the, the household of God, as Ted ha- have mentioned. And so, yeah, so we have more responsibilities uh, in the church or in, you know, in life in general, but, you know, by God's grace, we have grown together because of, you know, how we have grown in, you know, living out the gospel uh, of Christ by God, by His grace. So, yeah, what a what a testimony to to the worth of Christ, right? It's 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 him that makes our marriages sweeter and sweeter each year. It's not that we sort of figure it out or we're better people because of it. You know, it's because Christ is formed in us. We're more like Christ, but we also find him to be sweeter and sweeter, you know, in our marriage. And so the world has no idea, right? What that is like, you know, that's what we're inviting the world to see and 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 in our lives, in our marriage, in our relationships, in the in, in, in church, you know that that's he's the he's the one worth living for. He's the one worth pursuing in our marriage, and then everything else sort of pales in comparison, right? And um, yeah, that's why Paul can say, you know, all these things I count as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And as as long as we do that, you know, every day our we we're married. Every day we have kids. Every challenge that comes our way, it's an opportunity to, to look to Him and, and rejoice in, in our um, relationship with Him. So, well, with that, I think, you know, well, it's two o'clock. I'm sure our kids are waiting for us, but um, <laughs> let's just give thanks to uh, the Lord for JC and Kat again, for your teaching, for your time. And for just this opportunity, just to remember who you are uh, to us. You are so gracious and kind and good, and giving us yourself, uh, and in giving us yourself, you've binded us to one another as members of your household. Uh, what a precious privilege that is, and help us to live out that truth each and every day uh, according to your grace, uh, through uh, obedience and faith in your word, uh, that we would believe every word of it, and we would cling to every promise in your word, uh, that As we have Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness and to enjoy this life and to live this life and to live our marriages and to parent and to to shepherd and to serve in the church to your glory. We thank you that um, the end of this this path is that we get to be with you eternally and forever um, and that we get to uh, 
share a small glimpse of that within the church. And so, uh, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're all dismissed.